on Enmeshed, we discuss crimes and situations that may be disturbing for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Meshers, and welcome to Enmeshed, the podcast that explores family relationships and crime. I'm your host, Amanda. And I'm her mom, Pam. And welcome to part two of Who Murdered Marilyn Shepard. If you have not listened to part one, please go back and do so. There's a lot of information that we've already provided that leads up to part two today. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Dr. Shepard's second trial began in 1966. This time, the jury was sequestered to shield them from the media attention. When coroner Dr. Sam Gerber testified about the murder weapon being a surgical instrument, F. Lee Bailey, or Flea Bailey as we called him in part one, asked him to identify the specific instrument. Dr. Gerber could not discrediting his testimony as he admitted they did not find a murder weapon. And at this time, Susan Hayes, Dr. Shepard's mistress, was not permitted to testify. Big move. Dr. Kirk also testified about the forensic evidence proving there was blood in the house that belonged to neither Marilyn or Sam Shepard. In addition, The blood on Sam's pants was proven not to be Marilyn's. In April of 1963, F. Lee Bailey filed a petition for habeas corpus in federal court. Bailey contended, among other things, that prejudicial publicity before and during the 1954 trial violated Shepard's right to the due process of law. The tide that had run against Shepard for so long seemed to be turning. In mid-July of 1964, Federal District Judge Carl Weinman overturned Shepard's conviction on federal due process grounds. Weinman used strong language in his opinion, calling the 1954 trial a mockery of justice and quoting many of the editorials that pointedly called for Shepard's arrest or reported incriminatory evidence that was never introduced in the trial almost immediately following his release from prison on a $10,000 bond. Dr. Shepard's joy was short-lived, however, because the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, on a two-to-one vote, reinstated Shepard's conviction, although allowing him to remain free on bail, pending his appeal to the United States Supreme Court. In February of 1966, the High Court heard oral arguments in the Shepard case, with F. Lee Bailey arguing for Shepard and Ohio Attorney General and future United States Attorney General William Saxby arguing for the state. About three months later, by a surprising 8-to-1 vote, the Supreme Court reversed the Sixth Circuit and reversed Shepard's conviction 
on the grounds that the publicity surrounding the trial prejudiced Shepard's right to a trial by an impartial jury. It took prosecutors only two days after the court's decision to announce that they planned to retry Shepard for the murder of his wife. They are not letting this go. No, never. The second trial of Sam Shepard began on October 24, 1966, in the courtroom of Judge Francis Talty. Talty made sure that decorum prevailed and that nothing would be tolerated that might recreate what the Supreme Court called the carnival atmosphere of the first trial. The prosecution's case in the retrial differed significantly in respects from that presented in 1954. First, Prosecutor Leo Spilassi abandoned the surgical instrument as a murder weapon theory of the first trial, and Dr. Sam Gerber was relegated to a minor role in its case. Still, Gerber took the stand, affording F. Lee Bailey an opportunity on cross-examination to force Gerber to concede that he hunted all over the United States for a surgical instrument that might match the bloody impression found in the pillow, but he couldn't find one. Second, Spilassi chose not to dig too deeply into Sam's sex life. Susan Hayes was not asked to come back for a second performance. Instead, the prosecution read Shepard's July 1954 statement denying his relations with Hayes, leaving jurors to their memories of Shepard's previous unfaithfulness. The probable motive for the murder, prosecutors suggested, was an argument over Sam's philandering. The new twist in the prosecution's case came when Spilassi questioned Mary Cowan about blood spots found on Sam Shepard's watch. Cowan testified that a couple of blood spots on the rim of the watch were blood spatter, the product of flying blood, that could presumably only have been there if Sam were the murderer. With Cowan's potentially devastating testimony, the state rested its case. F. Lee Bailey, fortunately for his client, had a counter to Cowan's powerful testimony. Bailey had his forensic expert, Dr. Paul Kirk, examine color photographs of the watches. On the stand, Bailey asked Kirk about the blood found on the watch. Kirk testified, quote, For the most part, it looks like contact transfer. Kirk conceded that the tadpole-shaped spots along the watch's rim suggested flying blood, but said the lack of a symmetrical tail left the issue in doubt. Bailey saved his trump card on the watch evidence for a prosecution rebuttal witness, blood expert Roger Masters. Bailey projected large pictures of the watch, then pointed to two small spots on the inside of the band that appeared to resemble the blood spots on the rim that Mary Cowan had confidently concluded were the result of flying blood. Bailey asked Masters if he had noticed the spots in question. Quote, no, I honestly can't say that I did, Masters replied. Bailey did his homework. He studied the transcript of the 1954 trial and was determined not to repeat Corrigan's mistakes. Unlike the earlier trial, Bailey focused heavily on blood evidence, which he argued cleared his client. Bailey also questioned Dr. Paul Kirk about the pattern of blood around the murder room which seemed to radiate out from Marilyn's head. Kirk testified that the pattern suggested that the killer was left-handed, remember, 
Sam was right-handed. Kirk also testified that his analysis showed that the largest blood spot in the bedroom, one found on a closet door near Marilyn's bed, was type O, but had agglutination properties that distinguished it from Marilyn's blood. Yes, remember that Marilyn had type O blood and Sam had type A blood. Kirk's conclusion, the blood on the closet door came from neither Marilyn or Sam. Hmm. Bailey also believed it critical to present the jury with at least a plausible alternative killer. He considered, but rejected, Richard Eberling, the shepherd's window washer and owner of Dick's Window Washing, believing that a 1959 lie detector test had cleared him of the crime. Instead, Bailey suggested that Esther Hauck, angry with Marilyn for having an affair with her husband, there is evidence that Spencer and Marilyn were close, but not that they had sexual relations, killed her, possibly with the help of Spencer Hauck. Bailey called a bread delivery man to the stand to testify that he looked into the kitchen table one morning to see Marilyn drinking coffee with a distinguished older man. In support of his avenging wife theory, Bailey got Esther Hauck to admit that she ignited a coal fire in her fireplace on the morning of the murder, and then introduced national weather reports to show that the temperature that night bottomed out at 69 degrees Fahrenheit. Bailey hoped that jurors would conclude that Hauk started her fire to burn bloody clothes and other evidence of her crime. The family that next occupied the home actually found fireplace gold thongs that were submitted as evidence. This is wild. I think it's a stretch. He, he is good. Yeah. He is. The most significant difference between the 1954 and the 1966 trials, however, was what did not happen at the 1966 trial. Sam did not testify. Although Bailey understood the risk that jurors might conclude that a defendant unwilling to take the stand might have something to hide, that was a risk the defense attorney was willing to take. Shepard's cool, arrogant style did not make a good impression with the 1954 trial. In addition, the 1954 jurors found his story about the murder difficult to swallow, and he didn't want to retest the story with another 12 people. In his closing argument, Bailey told the jurors that the real killer was not in the courtroom. Quote, Someone was angry, angry enough to kill someone who didn't have the strength in their arm that Sam Shepard had, for indeed he would have crushed that skull like an eggshell. Okay, yet this stranger had enough strength to knock out Sam twice. Right. I don't know. All right. Questionable. Despite his earlier hints about a possible motive, Bailey said the case still left many questions unanswered. Quote, why was that person so angry? What had happened? What had Marilyn done to anger that person? We will never really know. For most of November 16, 1966, Shepard's fate lay in the hands of a deliberating jury. The first vote was 8-4 to four for acquittal, but by the evening, that minority had come around. Sam Shepard was a free man being acquitted on all charges. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Are you planning an event with audio and visual needs but are not sure where to start? 
Waves Entertainment can help. Waves Entertainment is your premier full-service management company with high-quality custom solutions for any size event. Whether you are planning a large festival or concert, a corporate meeting or wedding, Waves Entertainment will power your event to excellence. Our team of industry professionals work closely with your vision to ensure your audience hears every word, sees every detail, and remembers the experience. Our goal is to ensure your event is customized to fit your needs and provide professional-grade equipment to amplify your message. From live stage production and talent booking to vendor coordination, event staffing, and more, Waves Entertainment is your one-stop shop for the perfect event. Visit our website, wavesentertainment.com, or give us a call at 704-662-2435. That's 704-662-2435. Waves Entertainment, powering your event to excellence. Now back to the show. After his acquittal, Dr. Shepard attempted to resume his medical and surgical practice. However, several patients sued for malpractice and his medical license was eventually revoked. Yes, I understand Two of his patients died during surgery. I mean, who let this man perform surgery after 10 years in prison? I would think his skills would have deteriorated immensely. And let's not forget from part one where he he did save a five-year-old's life, but remember the method that he used to save this kid's life. Right. So risky. Yeah, very risky. I think he likes to play God. I think so. Dr. Shepard now began to drink heavily. His life was spiraling out of control, something his brothers and his son contributed to being wrongly convicted of the murder of Marilyn. His marriage to Ariane ended in divorce in 1969. Sam now married Colleen Strickland. Colleen's father was Sam's wrestling trainer. That's right, Sam became a professional wrestler by the name of Killer Sam Shepard. How appropriate. You cannot make this stuff up. I mean, why? (laughs) Why would you pick that name? I don't know, but I have got a picture to post of that one. Oh, boy. So Sam was drinking heavily, as much as two-fifths of liquor per day, and wrestling. On April 6, 1970, Sam Shepard died in his kitchen while vomiting blood at the young age of 46 of liver failure or cirrhosis of the liver. Dr. Samuel Shepard had drank himself to death. The death of Sam Shepard did not mean an end to the continuing mystery surrounding the murder of Marilyn Shepard, though. In 1989, renewed attention focused on Richard Eberling, the Shepard's window washer, when a jury convicted him of first-degree murder in connection with an insurance scheme involving an elderly widow he had befriended. Eberling did little to quell the speculation about him as the possible murderer, telling various interviewers that he knew more than he would say about the Shepard case, and even came close to admitting his guilt. He ravished in the attention. In fact, police had arrested him for unrelated charges after the murder and found two of Marilyn's rings in his possession. Why hadn't he pawned them? Were they a souvenir so he could remember raping and killing Marilyn? Richard admitted to cutting himself accidentally in the Shepherd house, information he offered without prompting by authorities. 
but it is believed that the detectives had tunnel vision and discounted this information at the time. They released him back then. Richard Eberling was born in Ohio and lived a rather rough life. He had never had a real family and fantasized about living in a normal family dynamic. Don't we all? So maybe he was jealous of Sam's achievements and his athletic trophies. Remember, those were kind of broken up. Mm -hmm. And of course, his lovely wife. Richard admitted to being attracted to Marilyn, commenting on both what a good mother she was and how tight her shorts were. Eberling passed a polygraph test, however, leading authorities to believe he was not involved in Marilyn's murder. That test would later be labeled as inconclusive. In the pictures I've seen, Richard barely has any hair at all, let alone bushy hair. And the hair he had was straight. I believe he did have a limp. Um, In Sam's defense, Richard could have been wearing a bushy wig. Or I did see a picture where he had kind of a bushy beard. So, interesting. Yeah. In 1984, Ethel Mae Durkin, everyone seems to have the name Ethel or Esther in this story, died in her home in Lakewood, Ohio. She had no immediate family and was cared for by Richard Eberling and another caregiver. Interestingly, the wealthy elderly woman's estate was placed under the guardianship of Richard Eberling. Under suspicion, the body of Ethel was exhumed and found to have injuries not matching those reported at the time of her death. Eberling and another man were both sentenced to life for the murder of Ethel Mae Durkin. This prompted further investigation into the 1962 murder of Ethel's sister, Myrtle Frey, and the 1970 death of her other sister, Sarah Farrow. All three women had been under Eberling's care at the time of their deaths. Myrtle Frey was found with her nightgown pulled up and had been savagely beaten in the face. The crime was remarkably similar to the murder of Marilyn Shepard. Eberling was sent to prison to serve a life sentence. A journalist who connected Eberling with Marilyn met with him several times. She described him as creepy. She said one time he interrupted a conversation to ask her, quote, Why do women fight when they are being raped? This prompted the exhumation of Marilyn and DNA testing to be performed between 1997 and 1999, 45 years after the murder. The DNA testing proved that the vaginal swab from the autopsy contained sperm that did not belong to Dr. Sam Shepard. Bloodstains on the wall of the bedroom and the stairs were tested and concluded that neither Dr. Sam Shepard nor Marilyn could be the source of the bloodstains. While the testing could not prove Eberling was the source, it could not exclude him like it could Dr. Shepard. The analysis was 90% confident that the blood and sperm were from Richard Eberling, but this is not conclusive enough for a legal case. Still, it's pretty huge. It is. Richard Eberling had type A blood, however, and earlier testing had suggested that the source of blood was type O. Eberling was never charged with the murder of Marilyn Shepard and died in prison in 1998. Multiple friends and cellmates claim Eberling confessed to Marilyn's murder, but true crime aficionados know that there are many false confessions with high-profile cases. Douchebags love to be connected to high-profile cases. 
they will confess to anything, I think, for attention. So take that with a grain of salt. Fast forward to this never-ending case. A civil trial for a wrongful imprisonment was brought to court in 2000 by Chip Shepard, the son of Sam and Marilyn. Given this new evidence, Chip, or as he was now called as an adult, Sam, wanted to prove his father's innocence once and for all. The jury heard 10 weeks' worth of testimony from 76 witnesses. The state of Ohio continued to state that Dr. Samuel Shepard was guilty of murder. They argued the DNA evidence was not reliable as it was not stored properly for the 50 years since the crime. I think it had been stored in a safe in the garage of, remember, Coroner Sam Gerber? In his garage, and that's probably not okay. It's very much not okay. The state showed x-rays that were taken after the crime and stated they did not show Sam had a broken neck. They also reminded the jury that the type O blood at the scene could not have been Eberling's as he was type A. The defense of Dr. Shepard countered with their own expert, who stated that the wounds suffered by Dr. Samuel Shepard could not have been faked. The jury decided that the evidence did not prove Dr. Shepard's innocence, meaning Chip or Sam Jr. had lost his case. Many rumors and theories about the murder of Marilyn Shepard have since been publicized. Of course, one theory is that Marilyn had told friends that Dr. Shepard was sterile after being around radiation from x-rays for years. They concluded that Marilyn had her own affair, becoming pregnant by someone else. The theory that Dr. Shepard killed his wife for being unfaithful and carrying another man's child was voiced but DNA testing proved Dr. Shepard was the father of Marilyn's unborn baby. Many residents of Ohio still have very strong opinions about this case. Some believe that Richard Eberling was the murderer, while others still insist that Dr. Samuel Shepard was guilty. My new friend, Paul Holes, thinks it was likely Eberling after dissecting the case, DNA, blood typing, and so on, on his podcast, Buried Bones, and our old friend, J.T. Townsend, feels the same way. Well, they are very reputable people, so I think it could have been Eberling. My gut just cannot let go of Sam Shepard murdering his wife, though. What do you think? Well, let's analyze the evidence of the husband or the handyman, shall we? Okay. So Sam did write a book in 1966 called Endure and Conquer with a foreword from F. Lee Bailey. Sam autographed the book for a salon owner, Phyllis Moretti, where he scrolled a big yes under the heading, Did Sam Do It, on the teaser page. That could have been a Freudian slip or maybe just bad humor. Also, the shepherd dog, Coco, did not bark. Eberling said the dog always barked at him. There was no sign of forced entry, but the door could have been unlocked or an intruder could have entered through the basement where there was a tool mark near the basement door. Sam's explanation of his t-shirt was weak. Right. Weak. However, a torn t-shirt that matched his size was eventually found a few yards from the shepherd's property line, but the t-shirt did not have any bloodstains. There was a delay in reporting the murder, as he called his friend first, 
Again, no 911 during that period. The evidence shows there were steps taken to make the crime look like a burglary, when in fact, it was only a brutal murder and possibly rape. Also, Marilyn's nightgown was pulled up, exposing her breast, and her bottoms pulled down, yet there was no sign of forcible rape. The murder suggested overkill, as in 35-plus blows. Maybe a crime of passion? Sam lied about his infidelity and troubled marriage. There's Sam's thumbprint on the headboard, which is weak, as there are many explanations for this. And there were no fingerprints found pointing to Eberling. And that thumbprint was not a bloody thumbprint. Correct. And the blood spatter on Sam's watch, that was also weak. I agree. Evidently, there was a table lamp next to Marilyn's bed prior to the murder, but not afterwards. At the civil trial, it was argued that the pillow stain is consistent with the U-shaped bow that surrounded the light bulb and supported the shade, suggesting that the table lamp might have been used as a murder weapon, whereas in the first trial, it was described as an imprint resembling a surgical instrument. But then the stain could simply have come from the pillow folding over on clotted blood. Also, a dented flashlight was discovered in Lake Erie, near the shepherd's home, which might have been the murder weapon. This is actually the strongest weapon theory. Okay. Now, could Sam have inflicted his own injuries? What do you think? Technically, yes, but I would say there were more likely defense wounds from Marilyn or, of course, from the bushy-haired intruder. Most husbands that kill their wives have a history of domestic violence. However, there was no evidence of this in the Shepherd household. And the way Marilyn's body was found spread eagle and naked for others to see is not something husbands usually do. And where is all the blood on his pants? There was only a bloodstained knee, which a DNA expert said was type O. Also, DNA found from a large bloodstain on a closet door near Marilyn's bed indicated only one out of 42 people have that DNA profile. And guess who is one of those rare people who has that DNA profile? Richard Eberling. Richard Eberling. Dick's window washing. (laughs) But the DNA tested was old and badly deteriorated, so the results are not reliable. Okay. Well, the motive about a somewhat troubled marriage or smoking, mm, that kind of seems weak at best, especially since... They had friends over that night, and they indicated that they were happy. Also, if he did do it, don't you think he'd have a better story than getting knocked out twice? And what about Sam being right-handed, but the forensic expert said the killer was left-handed? That's a super no. No. Hard no on that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know about... I I think I could believe the story about getting knocked out twice. Yeah. And also, there... The very little sperm that was found suggests it did not come from Sam. Again, we are looking at contamination, but that's kind of huge. Right. Dr. Gerber claimed the imprints on the bloody pillow were made by a surgical instrument. One was never found to fit that marking, and it did seem more like a flashlight. Okay. And remember, Sam never confessed and proclaimed his innocence until his death even with the grueling interrogation. It is suspicious that Richard Eberling had Marilyn's cocktail rings. It could have been a souvenir. He did not pawn them. 
However, there is conflicting research about the said rings. It was also stated that Richard Eberling stole the rings from Sam's brother's house three years after Marilyn was murdered. He also said that he bled in the house just days before the murder after he accidentally cut himself, although one of his workers indicated he was the one washing their windows a few days before the murder, not Richard. He also knew of an obscure basement entrance, however, he did pass a lie detector test, and he was sitting a few feet from Sam in court, and Sam never suggested that he was the guy with the bushy hair. They had met at the house before, but were not friendly by any means. There's just a lot to unpack here. I know. And why was he at the trial? I don't know. Yeah, I don't like that. Hmm. I think Sam would have seen enough to know, like, his form. Yeah. He's limp. Right. Boy, this would have been handled a lot different today. Yeah. This would have been done. Yeah, this would have been solved. Yeah. So um, a former nurse's aide testified that Eberling revealed to her that he did kill Marilyn, which, of course, are alleged confessions. And he denied this later, as they do. Eberling gave so many implausible accounts. Some of them were just false. But I have to say, if I were on the jury, I would think there's a lot of reasonable doubt on this one in regards to Sam. I agree. The case had a significant impact on the criminal justice system, leading to reforms in pre-trial publicity and the importance of maintaining a fair and impartial jury. It also highlighted the need for proper forensic investigation techniques, as the lack of evidence, preservation, and flawed crime scene analysis had a profound impact on the outcome of the initial trial. Hallelujah. So riddle me this. If Eberling did it, why would he pick that day? It's July 4th. They had friends over, Sam's home. And, and again, there was nothing pawned. We found the watch and the black onyx ring. And we found her cocktail rings later. So there was no burglary. Sam was home when he's a neurosurgeon. He's gone all the time. Chip could have been at school one day. Um, we know witness, witnesses are very vague on their descriptions, so I'm not going for we saw a bushy-haired man in the park nearby BS. There are a lot of bushy-haired men out there. Right. But this is the main thing. If he wants to rape Marilyn, he's going into this house, possibly from the basement, how does he know Sam's asleep on the daybed and he has to pass through right by him to go up the stairs? And once you go up the stairs, you're locked in upstairs. And if he knows Sam is an athlete in good shape, young, like, why would you lock yourself into that situation? And how could he be strong enough to knock Sam out and get out of that situation? That's a good point. I don't know. So I'm just looking at logic. And to me also, I'm going to say Sam did it. That was easy. I brought mm -hmm. it today. Mm -hmm. So if you look at like Ivan Cantu, he's going to be executed next week. I think he's had three stays. Am I 100%? We listened to Cousins by Blood going down to Crime Con. And I still was like, uh, 
Well, there's a lot of debate about that podcast. Right. So, yeah. Just because it's in a podcast doesn't mean right. it's true. So we're all working with he whatever. Did, he done did it too. Evidence is given to us. Yeah. Right. So we have that. And like our episode five, um, Guy Hines Jr., innocent or guilty. I'm not sure. I mean, could somebody be on drugs and, and all the time, you know, oh, I'm Superman. I can go in and kill everybody and do all of this. Maybe. I don't think that was the case in 1954 with Richard Eberling. I think we know, like with Bricka that we did. Okay. 99% sure the vet did it. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, but the biggest one would be Jean Benet. I need some DNA. I waver a lot. I don't have a gut feeling and logic on that one. Yeah. A lot of cases, some are unsolved, technically. Some are pretty easy, I would say. We don't have the evidence to solve it, but I would say we know who, who done did it. Circumstantial. Circumstantial. In this case, I just don't know. I mean, yeah, you make a good point about Eberling. You know, why would he pick a time when Sam and Chip are home? I mean, Chip's only seven, but still, it makes no sense, especially if Sam's gone all the time. Right. I don't know. And it's, why would he be so full of rage to bludgeon her like that? Right. Yeah, that doesn't right. make sense. But that's, that's what I said. When you start looking at photos, it's like, mm, put yourself right there and think, okay, I don't have a criminal mind. But this seems a little outlandish. Yeah, I'm just still not 100% convinced convinced on Sam either. I know, the blood testing and the little piece of sperm. I'm all about the the data and the evidence. Right. So I don't know. And I do um, also want to say I do like what Chip did with the death penalty. Um, Should it be legal or not? How would you feel if it was your family and it wasn't 100%? That's always that's going to be a debate. That's going to keep us here for until kingdom come, right? right? Yeah. Death penalty. Does the Bible say eye for an eye? Yes. That was Hammurabi. D- does the, is Hammurabi the gorilla? I don't know. Does the Bible also say forgiveness? It's like this will be debated forever. I'm looking that up. It's going to bother okay. me. I'm looking up right now. Well, I think there's a knee jerk reaction to yes. We're not paying for him to be in prison forever and all of these appeals and stays and let's just execute them. But then there's that, wow, their kid is standing outside the window looking. Are we 100%? You know? And that's, I think, why states waver back and forth and take years to execute. Right. If I, it was Hammurabi. That's the only thing I recall from history class. There you go. Mm-hmm. Now I can move forward with my one-track mind. <laughs> what were you saying? Just kidding. I got it. Death penalty. How do you feel about it? Oh, who even knows? I don't know. I could I, go either way. It's case by case. Case by case. I mean, I, mean, I, I like the idea of them. It, it seems like the death penalty is, is an easy way out, especially knowing that prisoners on death row get treated special treatment special treatment yeah so i mean you're kind of living the life and you may not get executed before you just die on your own right so i i like the idea of just rotting in prison Mm -hmm. and just being stuck in your thoughts all day or you know 
Jeffrey Epstein, Jeffrey Dahmer gets taken care of organically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that too. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of opinions about this case and the death penalty. Please share them with us. Tell us what you think. So what happened to Samuel Reese Shepard, whose name commemorated both of his parents, or Chip, or I guess as he preferred to be called as an adult, Sam Jr.? Where is he? Well, he had been raised by his uncle Stephen and his wife, living as normal a childhood as a child can live while knowing that people were whispering, that's the son of the doctor who killed his wife. Even as a teenager at Culver Military Academy, he heard the whispers. That had to be hard. He and his father wrote regularly, and he visited Dr. Sam Sr. in the penitentiary as often as he could. He indignantly rejected suggestions that he change his name to avoid being identified with the family stigma. He was a junior at Culver when his father was freed and afterward went to live with him briefly. His father was soon deteriorating mentally and physically, though. After Dr. Sam's death, young Sam slipped willingly into hiding. As a dental technician in Boston, he refused to talk about the bad memories or think about them. But in 1979, he was moved by Norman Mailer's book, Executioner's Song, about the execution of Gary Gilmore in Utah. In 1985, he saw a newspaper photo of the children of Charlie Brooks who were standing outside the fence of a Texas prison where their father waited execution. What he felt was powerful. Sam knew that this could have been his dad and he could have been sentenced to die. So I think he just became an advocate for not the death penalty. Sam became active in a group of families of murder victims who opposed the death penalty. In 1989, he even spoke out publicly at a rally in Albany. The director of the Cleveland City Club, Alan Davis, his father's lifelong friend, invited him to speak at the club's nationally broadcast City Club Forum in October, and he accepted. Coming home to the city where he could never feel comfortable again, but to a cause which would become his life work. He spoke, quote, The 4th of July at dawn, my mother lay dead, just down the hall from me as I lay asleep. On the shore of the lake below our house, my father lay half in and half out of the water, viciously knocked unconscious. My father sat in the Cuyahoga County Jail, weathering one of the most potent blitzes aimed at any one individual by the news media in modern times. Noting that the state originally sought the death penalty, he said his father's death would have killed him too. Quote, I feel it, and I will feel it for the rest of my life. How close we came to death, my father and I, 35 years ago in this city. Now, he said, law enforcement authorities were once more dragging their feet in finding the real story of what happened on July 4th, 1954. They were not pursuing leads about the connection of someone who had recently been convicted of another murder. Sam said, quote, I have reason to believe this individual conspired with others in the murder of my mother. 
He did not use a name, but those in the audience, who had been reading the papers, knew very well who he meant. The window washer, Mr. Richard Eberling. And one more thing in honor of Marilyn. She was buried in the mausoleum crypt at Knollwood Cemetery in Mayfield Heights, Ohio. Of course, that was in 1954. And Sam, who died on April 6th, 1970, is buried in the Forest Lawn Memorial Gardens in Columbus, Ohio. And that's a wrap. That was a long one. Yeah. Well, let us know your thoughts on this case. Who do you think is responsible for the murder of Marilyn Shepard? What are you thinking? I can't let go of Sam Shepard. Hmm. I know. And all this science now is leading straight to Richard Eberling. What do you think? Well, I'm all based on data and science. So, and I can't go wrong with Paul Holes. I mean, goodness. Right. But he speculated. He didn't say for sure. So. Right. But just based on the evidence, I'm leaning more towards Richard Eberling, but it's not really lining up with him either based on, based on the DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. There might be someone else out there that we don't even know about. Maybe. Hmm. Do you know, is this a cold case? I can't remember if mm, I read that or not. No, I think. They're Ohio, still actively working on it. I think Ohio's pretty much wrapped it up as Sam Shepard. So. Mm, okay. Well, this was a big one mm-hmm. to research and write. And if you enjoyed it, would you please reach over and give us a review or click the five stars or give us some love on social media. We would really appreciate it. All right. Well, join us next time for a brand new episode of Enmeshed. And remember, some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family. Thank you for listening. All of our sources are in today's show notes. You can find us at enmeshed underscore true crime podcast on Instagram, enmeshed true crime podcast on Facebook, or at enmeshed13 on X, formerly known as Twitter. You can also get a behind the scenes look at the show and chat with us about any of the cases you've heard here or share case suggestions. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with Enmeshed and join us every Monday for fresh takes on stale relationships. Enmeshed is an oh no production.